you, Paul. That was a good intro, wasn't it? Yeah, all the, I mean, all the years I've been here, I've been able to hide behind a keyboard. And then Faye says, I think I need to get you wor doing the worship. So um, then I was able to hide behind a guitar. But now I've got no guitar and I've got no keyboard to hide behind. If you put them along the back. These are for, purely for example. I'm not going to call anybody up. I'm not going to interview anybody or anything like that. But... Uh, <laughs> When I was thinking about what I'm going to talk about today, I thought well, I may as well start at the beginning. And Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning, God. You don't have to get that far into the Bible to realize that the Bible's about this person called God and that he, that he was the one that created the heavens and the earth. So I thought we would, first of all, we'd explore some different concepts that people have of who God is. All right, so I've got some pictures behind me, which are going to come up. I'll come to the side so you can see them. So, Betty, if you put that first one up, this is one you'll all be familiar with. It's called The Creation of Adam by Michelangelo, and it's on the Sistine Chapel. And there's probably thousands of people every day line up to see this image of God. You've got God reaching down to Adam. I don't know if it's before the fall or after the fall. I'm not quite sure. But this is the kind of image sometimes we have of God, a long white beard and, um, you know, dressed in white, uh, up in the clouds, maybe with the angels around him. An old man in the sky, basically, yeah. And let's have a look at the second one. This is another image. And I put this one up. <clears throat> maybe you see God like this. You didn't expect to see Santa this time of year, did you? But this is a God, well, he's not a God, obviously, but uh, sometimes, you, you know, he, we think he's like a God in the fact that he comes maybe once a year and he gives good gifts. He's got good gifts in his hand, except you, in, but in this case, he's not. He's got, no, he's got a naughty list. And the problem is we're all on the naughty list from time to time. So if we're on the naughty list, you won't get much from this one, will you? I mean, what did Paul say? We've all sinned and we've all fallen short. So, this is a conditional God, if he is here, if he is anything like Santa is. So, let's see, what else we got? This is a Hollywood description of God. You probably recognize this. Most of you have probably seen the film. Morgan Freeman in Bruce Almighty. And you've got Jim Carrey. I think he plays the son of God. And he's, he's trying to do everything he needs to do to, to get... <laughs> All the prayers answers. He's got prayers and prayers, loads and loads of prayers that are coming in. And then, how about this one? Maybe some of you see God like this. Now, most of you probably be brought up in a Christian home, so you probably don't quite see God quite as bad as this. But um, as you see, he's got the long white beard. This is Zeus, and he's he's the warring god, the god of war. He's probably got some temper issues I think but uh, so and he's got lightning bolts in his hands and um, so look out you better behave yourself around this one yeah and I've got one more image this is probably getting closer to the way we see God 
Um, once again, we got him sitting on a throne. That's very biblical, isn't it? He's got a, a throne. He's got a crown on his head. And he's got the earth be, be under his feet. So there's a verse in scriptures that says he made the earth his footstool, isn't there? So um, this is probably getting closer. Okay, you probably take that image down now, Betty. Thank you. But I was brought up, you know, in a Christian home. My dad was actually a pastor. And my mum was a children's worker as well. Did a lot with children. So I was brought up believing in God. I probably gave my heart to Jesus half a dozen times, <laughs> as most Christian children probably do, just to make sure you're in. And um, I can remember, so I was brought up with this God that kind of looked, still looked down at me. I knew that he loved me. And there was a song that I always remembered. It, it said, oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Do you remember, anybody remember that one? Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. There's a Savior up above, and he's looking down with love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. And then there was lots of other verses. Oh, careful, little ears, what you hear. And oh, be careful, little tongue, what you say. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. Oh, be careful, little hands, what you do. So I felt like it was a conditional God still. He was looking down at me, and I could please him. I could make him smile some days. <laughs> and other days, he'd probably go, oh, no, what's he doing? Or he had that kind of frown, that disappointed look on his face. A conditional God that one day may be happy with you and the next may not be. Well, I've got a, this is a, a typical kind of theologian's view of God, which I've got now. Um, it's, it's a Protestant statement of faith. I think it might have been a Presbyterian one, actually. And so I'm going to read you out. This is a, a very theological sound description. God is spirit, and in him being infinite, glorious blessedness and perfection, all-sufficient, eternal, unchangeable, incomprehensible, everywhere present, almighty, knowing all things, most wise, most holy, most just, most merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in, in goodness and truth. That's a pretty good description of God, isn't it? Do you think there might be anything missing in that description? Well, I think one thing that's missing is there's no Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's a God that, you know, is maybe sitting over here on his own. Maybe, you know, like these images, we've, we've just seen one God sitting on a throne, haven't we? Um, and he can be distant. He still could be removed. He's solitary. Yeah, nobody around him. Unapproachable, nameless, and faceless. And the question is, is, you know, would this God be capable of love? If he's been on his own solitary for all time, you know, does he know how to give? Does he know how to give love? Or do, does he know how to receive love? But of course we know in the scriptures it says that John, by John, John um, epistle, 1 John 4, 8. So Betty, if you want to get that one up. 
We know it says God is love. That's his main characteristic, isn't it? It's not just one of his characteristics. His, his, his very nature is love. So it says, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And 1 John 4.16, And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. So God is love. So I'd like to suggest that this is probably a closer description of love operating. You know, this is the Trinity. Maybe you see him like this. Maybe you see the Trinity like that. Maybe you see the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Maybe you see a hierarchy of... But actually, I believe it's like this. I don't believe um, if we're talking about Jesus all the time, you know, we're maybe singing a song like Jesus at the center of it all. I don't think that God's get, God gets offended by that, do you? Do you think that the Father gets upset? Hang on a minute. You know, I'm God here and my son's getting all the affection. And it's the Holy Spirit sitting up. No, when you, when you worship Jesus, you're worshiping God because he's one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, yeah? So to really understand God, we need to look and see who Jesus is. So he's introduced by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Gospels, isn't he, right? He's, he's prophesied in the Old Testament through the prophets. But the Jews didn't recognize him. They couldn't see him. In Matthew... Matthew introduces him and takes him back right the way back to the lineage of Abraham. So you've got this, all these begats, 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 Abraham begat, 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 all the way to Jesus, which is pretty impressive. Then Matthew, and then Mark and Luke take him back to Elizabeth and John the Baptist, who was his cousin. But John, he takes God right back to the beginning. So John opens his gospel with the words, in the beginning was the word, I don't, did I put this one up, Betty? I don't know if I did. No, that's all fine. That's okay. Must have got. In the beginning was the word, which of course was Jesus, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And do you know the word with, where it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. That word, word with, if you look at it in the Greek, it's the word pros. And, um, it actually means, whereas at the moment you've got a trinity of three. Let's put this one here and this one here for now. It actually means to be turned towards. So Jesus was turned towards God. And it means to be face to face. So I suggest to you that the trinity is face to face with one another. And this is why God is love. Because here we have the Father. Let's say Jesus, this is Jesus here. Jesus is face to face with the Father. And the Father is face to face with the Son. And that's why God is love. And he's always existed like this. Even before time even started, before eternity started, we had this trinity. And one theologian said that, uh, where are we? Um, just find where I am. Yeah, one theologian described the Holy Spirit as the eternal light that enables the Father to see the Son and the Son to see the Father with clarity. 
So you've got this, this is what we call the blessed trinity, isn't it? Holy, 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 holy is the Lord God Almighty. God in three persons, blessed trinity. So is the trinity in scripture? Well, I thought I'd give you a few scriptures just to, to clarify that the trinity is in scripture. These are from the New Testament. This is Matthew 28, 19. It says, go, there, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And once again in 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So you've got Jesus saying, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and you've also got the Apostle Paul saying, Jesus Christ, the Son, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And of course, in Jesus' life, we know he always talked about the Father. He often talked about the Father in his relationship with the Father and pray that his disciples would know the oneness that he had with the Father in the same way. And he also talked about the Holy Spirit that would come after him, didn't he? Right, I'm going to take a drink now because this is thirsty work up here. If any man is thirsty, let him drink. What about the Old Testament? Is there a Trinity in the Old Testament, do you think? It's a bit more hard to find, isn't it? If you've, you know, studied the Scriptures. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. Ah, got a problem. But if you actually look at the word one... It actually means together. It means togetherness. It means unity. It means two people coming together and becoming one. Genesis 1 verse 1. Are these verses coming up all right? Oh, good. I haven't got any wrong yet. <laughs> I'm afraid I'm going to give the wrong references. Okay, Genesis 1 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God. Do you know that in the Hebrew, the name for God is Elohim, which can be taken plural? And then Genesis 1.26, and God said, let us create man in our own image, in our own likeness. So you've got us, our own image, our own likeness. So there's a, there's a proof of a trinity there as well, isn't there? Yeah. Isaiah 6, verse 3. Holy, holy, holy. Have you ever wondered why it says holy, holy, holy three times? It's the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of your glory. And of course, that, that term repeats in the New Testament uh, in Revelation 4.8. I don't think I'll put that one up. It's holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. So hopefully that's enough proof that there is a trinity, right? That there's three gods. And that when you're worshipping one, you can be worshipping all three of them at the same time. And that the Holy Spirit is there to lead you and to guide you and to help you to focus your attention on Jesus, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, I want to take it a little bit further now. There's another verse, well, not a verse, there's the early church came up with a, a word 
in about the third century. And I don't know if you've come across this word before. It's called perichoresis. Have you ever heard of that? It's, and it really means peri is circular. It means a circular motion. And choresis means a choreography. It means a dance. So you've got perichoresis. So it's a dance, a circular dance. And they described, they actually saw the Trinity as a dance. So they're not just stagnant, sort of sitting on thrones in heaven, but they saw it as a celebration dance. Another word they came up with is celebrative constancy. And they saw it as a love dance, a celebration of overflowing divine life, goodness, power, joy, ecstasy, light, sound, frequency, color. And I'd like to suggest you, this is what God's like. You know, he's not just a, a guy sitting on a throne or two or three people sitting on thrones up in heaven trying to rule and reign over everything. But he, he is a dance within himself. Do you remember that song we used to, they used to sing? The Lord of the dance, dance wherever you may be. I am the Lord of the dance, said he, and I'll lead you all. I can't remember the words of the rest. <laughs> wherever you may be, and I'll lead you all in the dance. So when we worship, we're actually joining in with what's happening in heaven. Do you know that the whole of heaven permeates from the dance? The angels join in the celebration. The saints, they all join in the celebrative constancy that's happening in heaven. And that's our privilege to do on a Sunday morning and on a Monday morning as well. When you're driving in your car, wherever you are, you can live in this, in this wonderful fellowship that we have with God. Did you know that God is happy? <laughs> you don't hear it very often, but I really believe God is a happy God. You know, it says that in Scripture. 1 Timothy 1 verse 11. <clears throat> the glorious gospel of the blessed God. Can you see that? According to the glorious gospel. Do you know what blessed means? The root word is bliss, and it's blissful. It means God is blissfully happy. That's, that's a nice to know, isn't it? I mean, who wants to spend eternity with a, a grumpy God or, or a sad God? He's happy. Laughter and joy come from him. They originate in him. Some other verses, it says, he sits in heaven and laughs. Reminds me of that song we used to sing. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Do you remember that one? And you get to verse 3 and it was like the laughing policeman. Uh, <laughs> what is it? The, you, you turn my tears to joy. Ha, 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 ha. And by the time, I think the, the, the <clears throat> I can't remember. I think it's the first three or something. It's just, ha, 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 ha. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> it's just laughing. It's just like the laughing policeman. Maybe we ought to redo that one. Yeah, yeah. Could do with some laughter sometimes, couldn't we, eh? We can be so serious with God sometimes. 
Some other verses that talk about God being happy and being joyful. The angels are in constant joyful assembly. They rejoice when sinners repent. What do the angels bring? Glad tidings of great joy. And it always amazes me that Jesus' first miracle that he ever did was turning water into wine. I don't know if you can, you know, see the scene. They've all been drinking. They've drunk all the wine, so they're probably already quite happy. And then the very first miracle Jesus does is he turns water into wine. And they say to him, why have you left the best wine till last? You know, they said that to the guests, didn't they? <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> and do you know why Jesus went through the cross? Do you know why he did it? He did it for joy. He did it for the joy that set before him. If you look at Hebrews 12, 2, it says this. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So he saw you and me from the very beginning, before he went through the cross, probably when he was in that garden, sweating great drops of blood, he could see you and I, and it was for the joy that set before him that he endured the cross. He did it for joy. He did it for your joy and for his joy. Now you may think this is a, this is a good picture, but what about us? How does it affect us? Are we able to join in with this? Well, yeah, every one of us has been given an open invitation to join in what's happening in the Trinity, to, happen in what, to join in what's happening in the dance. So Ephesians 2.4 says this, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. And by grace we have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. This is what Dave's been talking about, isn't it? That he's actually raised us up where he is. I don't know if you've heard of the Mirror Bible. I, I love the Mirror Bible. I, in fact, I met the, uh, the guy that wrote it once. And it's a paraphrase, a bit like um, the message. And... Um, this is Ephesians 2, verse 5. I haven't got it on the thing because we haven't got, I don't, we've got the Mirror Bible here. But I just thought I'd read a couple of verses from the Mirror Bible from Ephesians 2, 5 and 6. And this just describes what Jesus has done and what he did at the cross. This is how grace rescued us. Sin left us dead towards God, like spiritual corpses. Then comes the resurrection of Christ. In that moment... He spontaneously quickened us. While sin proved how dead we then were, grace reveals how alive we are now. We've been made alive. He's raised us up through his death and through his resurrection. 
and verse 6. As much as we were once included in his death, we are now included in his resurrection. We are also elevated in his ascension to be equally welcomed to the throne room of heaven, of the heavenly realms, where we are now seated together with Christ in absolute authority. We are in Christ Jesus. That's good news, isn't it? So if we are in Christ and Christ is here, we can have a face-to-face relationship with the Father as well. So this is our position. Not only we, when we get to heaven, but it's our position now. Do you know we used to sing that song? When we all get to heaven, what a wonderful day it will be when we all see Jesus. <laughs> but, um, you know, we don't have to wait till we die, you know. I think sometimes when we all die, how wonderful it will be, how it'll be. But we can know him now. He wants us to, he's made a way for us to, to enter into the heavenly places now, into his realm, where he is. Where he is, where he is, so are we. Jesus' prayer was that thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So we're, you know, not only are we in heaven, but we're to bring his kingdom on down to the earth. That was always Jesus' prayer from the beginning, wasn't it? To bring the he- heaven's kingdom down. And what's his, what's his kingdom? If you look at it, it says the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. So he wants to bring righteousness and peace and joy to this earth. So his death was our death. His burial, his burial was our burial as well. His resurrection was our resurrection. And his heavenly ascension was our heavenly ascension. Do you believe that? Does anybody believe that? There was a guy that came here probably back in the 90s called Georgian Banoff. I don't know if anybody remembers him. But um, I remember he used to play the fiddle. And uh, I always remember him. He had white socks. (laughs) He had black trousers and white socks. And he looked a bit like Michael Jackson from the... The belt down, you know, he kind of had that look about him. Uh, but I like the way Georgian Banoff says this. He says, you have to drink your cocoa. You think, what? <laughs> You've all been eating cocoa, probably, and your chocolate, just coming from Easter. But Georgian Banoff says, you have to eat your, or you have to drink your cocoa. What is he on about? Well, this is how you drink your cocoa, all right? I have been co-crucified with Christ. I have been co-buried with him. I have been co-raised with him and co-ascended with him. And now I'm co-seated with him in heavenly places. So you can drink your cocoa every day, yeah? And remind yourself, because we have to remind ourselves because we're, we're terrible at forgetting. We forget who we are. We like to go and see ourselves in the mirror and about ten minutes later all hell breaks loose in our lives and we've forgotten who we are already, you know? so we don't have to be under the circumstances I can remember a guy at the church I used to go to where my dad was the pastor he always used to say you don't have to live under the circumstances well if we're raised with Christ we can live on top of them now I know that's easier said than done isn't it when everything when you're in a dark place that's hard 
And we all go through the veil of the shadow of death in our life probably sometime, many times, some of you. So, you know, I can, I can understand. But uh, God wants us to go through, you know, the veil of, when it talks about the, the veil of the of shadow of, I can't even say it now, <laughs> the, the darkness, when we go through the death, and when we go, we can, we can pass through it and come out the other side. God doesn't want us to remain in the darkness and in that dark place. We all have a dark night of the soul in our lives, but God wants us to encourage us and remember that we are in Christ. We are in heavenly places now. Religion always wants to bring separation between you and God, but separation is actually an illusion. We think, you know, like the Santa image that I showed earlier, we see that naughty list and we think, oh yeah, I'm probably on that naughty list today. So God's having to turn his face from me today. But when we understand the grace of God, that he loves us, he loves us unconditionally, Grace, you see, grace, if we really understand grace, we have to drink it straight. We can't water it down. If it does, you must do this and you must do this. And you mustn't do that and you mustn't do that. We just have to learn to abide, like Jesus said, abide in the vine. That's how we, we produce fruit, when we abide in the, in the vine, isn't it? Okay, here's another verse. Um, this is from the mirror paraphrase again. And I love this verse. It says, but now, wow. But now, wow. Not in 20 years, wow. Or when the, the anointed preacher comes to town. Or not even when you're dead, will it be wow. Although it will. But you can enjoy wow now. <laughs> so he starts off, he says, but now, wow, everything has changed. You have, been, you have discovered yourself to be located in Christ. It's a discovery. You know, it's like you go for a walk. I can remember doing this once. I was walking the dog. I was in Monmouth at Sal's School where my wife teaches. And um, you can go up. I was heading towards the Kimmin at the top of the hill. And I'd uh, done about half an hour. And I thought, oh, how long have I got to go now? So what you do, you, you put your phone on. And you put your sat-nav on to see where you are. To see where your location is. And um, that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to see ourselves located in him, in the Trinity. And he did this because this is something that we were totally incapable of doing ourselves. This was Jesus' prayer for his disciples in John 14, verse 3. That where I am, you may be also. Here's another one that talks about the fact that God desires us to be where he is in direct fellowship with the Father. It's John 17, 22 and 23. And this is Jesus praying to his Father. He says, The glory which you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one as I am one, as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may be perfect in one and that the and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. 
So the whole point of this is that the world would see something in us, that the world would know. And the way we do this is when we come into this oneness with God. So worship is not something that we do to create or to please God. Although it blesses him, it really does bless him. It's something that we can participate in. It's something we, what's happening here, is something we participate in. He's invited us to join in this dance. And by the way, I've got an album called Come Join in the Dance. Did you know that? <laughs> I might as well give it a little plug. <laughs> so uh, if you want a CD, you can listen to it free on YouTube under Right Way Worship. So just write that down if you want to listen. You can listen to any of the songs off there. But I've got a track called Come Join in the Dance, and it talks all about what I'm talking about today. Here's another verse that talks about opposition right now. This is Hebrews 11.22. But you have come to Mount Zion. I can remember I used to sing a hymn. Um, he used to go, we're marching to Zion. Do you remember that one? Come on. All you over 50s will probably remember that one. Beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching up to Zion, the beautiful city of God. And uh, I can remember when I was about 17, I started a band, and I changed the words to we're dancing to Zion, I can remember. And I, I learned to play it on a penny whistle. It was kind of like a folk thing we did of it. But um, here it says, we've already come. We've already come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly, the church of the firstborn, who are registered in heaven, to the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. Look, sorry, I forgot to give you the reference to that one, Betty. <laughs> Apologies, that's my fault. You'll just have to believe I'm reading the scripture. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so God wants us to enjoy. That's what I really want to get over, that God wants us to enjoy the reality of what he's done. And he wants to enjoy it now. Not when we all get to heaven. Do you remember that song we used to sing? When we all get to heaven. <laughs> he wants to enjoy it now. So coming back to the beginning. I, I started this talk off and I said, in the beginning God created. So why did he do it? Well, we, we know it wasn't because he was lonely. Because we see that he's a trinity. Do you think because he is narcissistic? Did he need recognition? Did he need to be recognized for his greatness? Did he create you and I as lesser beings so we could worship him for his greatness and in, 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 I can't even say this word, omnipotence <laughs> and power and might? Is that why he created us? Just so we could, because he needed worship. Maybe he had a need. I'd say a strong no to that. Do you know I, I believe? God is complete within himself, in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and always has been through eternity. So why did he create the heavens and the earth? And why create us? I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? The heavens and the earth. I say that, you know, but um, it's huge. It's massive. You think of all the 
the suns out there and from all the millions of suns and all the planets that are going through those suns, he chooses one planet. And on that planet, he chooses a, a people that are like himself in his own image, in his own likeness. Well, this is why I believe he did it. He did it out of the overflow of divine love, the overflow of his abundant life. He wanted a family of sons and daughters. Do you know it's the most natural thing to want to have a family, isn't it? To reproduce after your own kind. Sons and daughters that were made in his image to share in all he is. And as I said, he saw you and me. He saw in you, he saw you and me at the very beginning. We were always in the heart of God. Thousands of years before we existed, you and I were in the heart right from the beginning. We're in his heart. That's good, isn't it? So maybe I could call the musicians up at this stage. I've just got a couple more scriptures. And then we'll, we'll come to an end. So Ephesians 1 verse 4, I'll just read a couple more scriptures to you. It says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us, to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to his own good pleasure or according to the good pleasure of his will. Why did he do it? Because of pleasure. Because it gave him pleasure in doing it from the abundance of his heart. Here's another verse. 2, 2 Timothy 1.9 Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, a holy calling, not according to our works. It's nothing that we've done, but according to His own will and purpose and grace that was given us in Christ Jesus before time began. You know, there's a couple of church fathers. I just want to say a couple of quotes from. One was a guy called Arianus. You've probably never heard of him. He said, Our blessed Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his transcendent love, became what we are in order to bring us to what he is in himself. Another one was Athanasius, Athanasius, however you say it. He said, The Son of God became the Son of Man in order to make us sons of God. Isn't it wonderful? that we were made in his very image. Not as lesser beings, but he wants to raise us up as sons of God on the earth in this hour. And I really believe that's happening. God wants us to realize our authority. He wants to realize where we're seated in heavenly places and live from there. So I started off with a picture of God reaching down to man. Well now, all that distance has gone. And we can behold him face to face. So I've, I've asked the worship team if they could sing that song again, The Goodness of God. God is good. <laughs> he really is. All of the time. And he loves you. And he wants his best for you. He's got plans for you. 
for your goodness, for your welfare, not for evil. He's got a future and he's got a hope for each one of you because he chose you right from the beginning. Amen.